Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 16 through 24. This is from the Message Translation. Jesus replied with this story. There was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servants to the invited guests, saying, Come on in, the food's on the table. Then they all began to beg off one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, Quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and down and out you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, Then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. So LifeSpring's going to spend three weeks talking about the matter of invitation. We're not going to twist your arm or do anything like that, but we do want to uh, cause you to think. And uh, in your thinking, to start thinking about individual people that you would like to invite to LifeSpring. LifeSpring's different. You already know that. Uh, they're going to be treated with respect and with love when they come here. And think about how you can invite them, perhaps using a text message. Uh, it's a very simple process. It's not a, a doctoral dissertation. It's just, hey, would you like to come with me? So today we're going to begin this series by talking, the sermon title is Banquet. And I want to talk during this, uh, this brief sermon about how much uh, eating enters into biblical theology. It comes up all the time. The most famous dinner of all was the Passover, and this dates all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Uh, in, the, in the Passover, you know, the children of Israel were about to, uh, to make their break from Egypt, and God tells them that he wants them to each household to to eat a lamb, to sacrifice a lamb, to take the blood from that lamb and paint it on the lintel and the, uh, the header of the door, of their door. And that was going to be a sign that this house was a house that was following God and was making plans to leave. They were also instructed in years following to observe Passover as a remembrance of that event. <clears throat> so every year they would have, and they still have, uh, these great Passover celebrations where they tell again the story of their uh, escape from Egypt. And then there's the, the giving of manna and quail in the wilderness. So they're making their way across the wilderness to Canaan, to the land that God has promised to them. And every morning... God would provide for them a banquet, 
a banquet of, of manna and a banquet of quail. And it was free, and it, it was uh, only required that they get up and collect it. And then I think it's important to know that these two meals, Passover and manna, are sort of uh, precursors to New Testament meals that we'll talk about. In the New Testament, meals are also important, more important even than the, the Old Testament. Mark chapter 6 begins uh, with the, the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 people have collected to hear more about what Jesus was going to say to them. Uh, their curiosity. They come without food. And uh, Jesus performs a miracle with five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish to feed all these people. 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children were there. You maybe can figure out it would probably be something like 10,000 people or more. Maybe 15,000 people. And the, the funny thing about the feeding of the 5,000 is it's so typical of Jesus, is there's food left over. Well, if you're going to do a miracle, Jesus, why don't you just have enough? And then everybody would go, wow, look at that. We fed everybody. Everybody's full. And we don't have anything left over, but not Jesus. Twelve baskets of leftovers. Any of you want to take home leftovers for dinner tonight? There's the meal at Levi's house, Mark chapter 2. Jesus goes to Levi's house, and Levi's a tax collector. Uh, Levi's not a guy that uh, anybody wants to hang around with in proper company. But that's where Jesus goes. That's who, that's who he likes. That who he, that's who he wants to hang out with. And uh, Levi invites this disreputable group of people to join him in this meal. There's the parable of the wedding banquet, which Bev read to you today. There's uh, John, John 6. Jesus says, I am the true food. That's what we participated in this morning. I am the true food. I'm the real deal. Cleopas and his friend are wa walking home to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus. And Cleopas and his friend think that that's it. It's over. This guy that we have been following and have devoted our lives to is now dead. and All hope is gone. And Jesus tags along with them. They don't know who he is for some reason. And at the end of the walk, Cleopas says, Look, it's, it's getting dusky. Why don't you just stick around? Hang out at our place. We'll give you a bed and a meal. And, and don't travel anymore. Stay here. So Jesus goes in their house. And over a meal, Jesus breaks bread. And Cleopas and disappears. Cleopas and his, and his friend go, that was the Lord. We recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And then in Revelation, the greatest meal of all, 
Revelation 22, describes a, a gathering of people from every age and all over humanity gathered around the tree of life, eating together. The great heavenly banquet. Boy, I can't wait to see that one. So I, I want you to, to think in terms of, of invitation, of banquet. You know, God, God does great work using a common meal. And we see it over and over and over again in both the Old Testament and the New. And I'm, I'm glad that, that Rich said what he did this morning about the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's, it's really kind of ironic in a way that God wants to eat with us. He, he wants to sit with his, uh, with his knees under our table. Well, I think that in the meal, there is this great reversal that goes on in human relationships and in the way that we look at the world. Great reversal. Who do we invite over to our, our homes for, for dinner? Hey, let's, let's invite Tom and Sally over, or Sally and Sue over, or whoever. We know them. They're like us. They like the same books that we like. They go to the same school we go to. They're our kind of folks, right? But that's not who Jesus invites. In this great reversal, Jesus is basically saying to us, it's no big deal if you invite somebody that looks like you. That's easy to do. You don't have to worry about disagreement. You don't have to worry about learning something new. You don't have to learn about learning something that you don't feel comfortable with, that you've never thought about. I think there's some things that have contributed to this tendency that we have. And uh, I'd like to suggest three things. Maybe there's more, but I think there's at least three. And the first is tribalism. And tribalism is seeking out the people that are like you. This is my tribe. This is who I hang out with. I don't think that's a biblical idea, honestly. I, I think tribalism works against the mission of the church. And yet, how often churches, when you start to look at them, start to look alike, the people within them. Second thing is what I would call cocooning. This term was big, I think, in the 80s. Cocooning then referred to uh, buying sound systems and all the things that made your home uh, comfortable and self-contained, and you didn't ever have to go out to the theater, and you didn't have to do this, and you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to miss, mix with all those unwashed people. Cocooning. Well, we have our own versions of that today. I, I think, to a large degree, that has affected hospitality. When I, I was growing up, 
my mother was always thinking ahead on Sunday. Saturday is when she probably began thinking of it. But she was thinking about what she was going to cook for Sunday dinner. And she always had enough to be able to invite somebody. And she didn't invite every Sunday. The opportunity didn't present itself. But there were a lot of Sundays that we didn't know who would show up at our house. Most of the time it was some new visitor at church or it was a missionary traveling through town and my parents would say, hey, let's invite them over. Uh, I think that today I look back on that and I think my mother had the spirit of Christ. I think, I, I think that's what Christ does. I think Christ is going, I need to think about what I'm cooking for lunch tomorrow because I'm going to have a dinner and I want to... I want to make sure that I'm prepared for that. The third thing, so the first is tribalism, the second is cocooning, and the third is self-isolation. And by that, I think, uh, what I mean is that, that I think first about me. My friend Lane uh, Baldridge, that I've mentioned to you before, I talked to you about doing her funeral in Lubbock. And when we still lived in Lubbock, uh, Wayne, Lane was, was talking. It was really in vogue then to talk about self-esteem and all that, and there were lots of books about self-esteem. That is not to say that there's not something credible about that. However, Lane pointed out, and I agree with her, the way that the emphasis of that idea had gone in our culture was that it made us more inward, made us more me first, right? And our, our world has come to embrace that. That's, that's how we think. That's how we look at the world. Oh, I don't want to do that. That would be inconvenient to me. I don't, I don't want to think that because this is what I believe. Everything's me-related. Tribalism, cocooning, self-isolation. What, what is interesting is imagining God's activity, and imagining God's activity, that is, is, is seeing how he, he turns everything upside down. If you're not somewhat uncomfortable with what God is saying to us, then you probably haven't come to terms with it because it's uncomfortable stuff. In the parable of the great feast, the people who got the invitations first, think tribe. This was the, the master of the house's people were the ones who didn't want to come. I have this excuse, I have that excuse. Seems really logical to us, doesn't it? When we're making those excuses, this is something that I want to do. This is important to me. In the second way, the master of the house actively recruits attendees. He kicks the tribe out. He says, fine and dandy, don't come to my banquet. 
and he sends his, his, his slave out, his servant out, and says, I want you to go find people in the highways and the byways. I want you to find them where, where we don't normally hang out. Go invite those people. And so he does. Who do you think those folks are today? Because there is a 22, 2022 version of this parable. Who are those people? It's not what you expect to see at the country club or Kiwanis or Rotary or the women's club. Luke elaborates on this idea in chapter 15 when he talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In each case, he, he tells a story that seems rather incredible. A man has 99 perfectly good and safe sheep, and he's going to leave and risk those to go find one lost one. Where's the good economy in that? Everybody would have sat up straight in their chairs the minute they heard that. But God was trying to tell us something about the value that he places on people, all people. In the lost coin, a woman turns her house upside down looking for this one lost coin. Now, um, a little bit of history. This was probably a coin that was kept in her, her dowry, in her headgear. You know, holes back then, I mean, uh, coins back then had a hole in the center, and so you could have stitched those into your, your head covering or whatever. And that was your marriageability. That was your, your worth as a human being was invested in those coins that you had, and she's lost one of them. And it means that she's not as marriageable as she was. And so, this is not how it happened probably, but I picture her taking every piece of furniture out of her house and putting it in the street. And looking in every corner, sweeping the whole house, looking for that one coin. And the third is this lost son. This uh, son that is arrogant and and uh, disrespectful to his father. And he says, I, I demand my part of the inheritance. Since he was the youngest son, he would get one-third of the inheritance, which would have been all the liquid assets, cash and stuff like that. I want my inheritance. The older son got two-thirds of the inheritance, which would have been the real property, the, the house and the land and the livestock and all of that. And he goes out and he spends it and he ends up in this pig pen eating pig food. And when he finally comes to himself and comes home, he says to himself, look, I know I'll be treated better as a servant in my father's house than I will living out here with the pigs. But what surprises him is his father running down the road to greet him. You see, that, that's who gets invited to the Lord's banquet. It's not really the people that, that we often would really prefer that it be. When the first invitees offer, offered their 
their feeble excuses, Jesus basically disinvited them. Jesus is basically drawing a bounded set, centered set model for, for us. A bounded set is any set of people, any set of anything for that matter, in which there are only two positions, in or out. The boundaries in the case of the parable are, is the invitation that they got. The boundary is probably their social standing. The, the boundary is probably their ethnicity. Those sorts of things serve as the boundary. And you knew if you were in or out. You knew. Centered set has a center, but no boundaries. It's all white space. And it's one black dot. And that, that is the center. That's the central idea. That's the central, central politic. That's the central uh, avocation. It's the thing that draws you to that. The first time I saw this model, it showed arrows, all kinds of arrows around this, this, bound, this centered set. Some were going in toward it, some were going away from it. And the first time I, I thought about it, I, I thought, wow, that really does describe spiritual condition of, of the world. Because there's some people that are heading toward Jesus, the center, and some are in close, some really know Jesus, some are kind of curious, they're out here, but they're headed that direction. Some, if you look at it as a, as a, a bounded set, some that you think are in are actually out because they're headed the other direction. Well, it's not hard to see who, who's in, who's headed toward the center in this parable. Those who showed up to hear Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5 through 8, the Sermon on the Mount, were people who followed him around. They followed him around the Sea of Galilee. They wanted to hear more. They saw his power and they wanted him to heal more. Those are the folks that, that Jesus wants. Here, here's my description of who, who wants to be near Jesus. First of all, they're curious. They don't have their mind made up. Second, they know that when they encounter Jesus and what he says, that they've encountered something they've never heard before. I've never seen anybody who treats people the way he does. I've never seen him stare into somebody and seen anybody stare into someone's eyes like he does. I've never seen anyone who takes such great care and concern for somebody that everybody else passes by and ignores. And oh my, what he teaches has turned my life upside down. And they will see the value in being in the company of people 
who share that same curiosity and attraction to Jesus. You know, some people don't want to be here. That's fine. I mean, it's not, but that, that's fine. Let's not spend our time chasing people who don't care about Jesus. Let's, let's invite, let's, let's love the people that would benefit from this. You know who they are. You know who those people are in your life. Start praying about them. Send them a text message. Hey, you want to go to church with me next Sunday? You might be surprised what happens. Who you discover. I think, I believe that the meal was the premier image in the Bible. Find it over and over and over again. It shows the generosity of God. Shows the openness of God's invitation. Shows the desire of God for God's people to be hospitable. That's a characteristic of God's people is they're hospitable. They, they are inviting people. How would you say you're doing with that? Where would you fit on this scale? you several ways to kind of look at this. Are you a bounded set person or are you a centered set person? Who, who may, may think that, you know, a guy may be out here pointed that direction, but maybe they're closer than somebody who's up here headed out. Final story. One of my favorite stories uh, Alan Hirsch told us about cattle ranching in, in Australia. And in the outback, the outback's all desert, no water out there. And so cattlemen have to drill wells in order to supply water to their animals. And if crop, I don't know if they have crops out there, but you can't fence it. You can't fence in your cattle. It's too vast. But Alan says, you don't have to worry about your cattle wandering off when there is a water source. Because they all know that that's where the water is. And if you wander out here, you're going to wander away from the water and life. Don't you love that? That's what Jesus is inviting us to do, is he's inviting us to come Taste this water. You, you'll never leave. And that's what I'd like to invite you to do for your friends. I'd like, I'd like for you to do two things. One is to think about somebody that you want to pray about and pray about them constantly. The second thing is Look for opportunities to invite them to come here and join us. They may come once and say, eh, that's not for me. But on the other hand, they may come and say, man, I really, really loved that. I want to come back. Let's pray. Oh God, please do not allow us to be satisfied with what we've experienced 
but to rather be open, inviting people in imitation of Jesus who loved a good meal with strangers. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.